permission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To Roll for initiative. From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, What can we learn from movies to enhance our role-playing game experience? I'm Rafe Telsch, film critic. And I'm Drew Meyer, gaming enthusiast. Uh, it is time for second opinions. We've had several weeks to think about anything we may have missed about Stand By Me, but before we get to those thoughts, because this is a podcast about movies and role-playing games, Rafe, have you watched any movies, played any games, or listened to any podcasts in the last several weeks that you would recommend to me or our listeners? Uh, I have. Uh, I actually, last time we talked, notably the gap in between us recording that episode and it actually coming out, I talked about I was in the pre-Oscar catch-up. And then, of course, the Oscars, I think, came out the week that we talked about it, and then it took several weeks to get the episode out. I went straight from Oscars to preparing for a podcast that I was going to appear on that was doing like a March Madness style best animated film. And so they had given us this huge bracket of animated movies that were picked for this contest. And like a third of them I had not seen, Drew. Hmm. you I mean, it was like you would almost chastise me for some of these movies I hadn't seen. So <laughs> among some of the films that I had not gotten to see, had never seen, Tokyo Godfathers, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend to any mature right. listener, listeners out there. It's, <laughs> it, I mean, it's got some mature content to it, and it's got some language issues, which, you know, ties in with the fact that we've been discussing Stand By Me, but but uh, Paranorman, which could be a kids on bike story, like really. Yeah, I considered that on a number of occasions. We hadn't done an animated film, yeah. and that was close to being selected for the next episode. <laughs> hint, hint. And then like some '80s iconic animated films I'd never seen, including Akira, uh, Heavy Metal, Fire and Ice. Uh, none of which I particularly liked. Wait, so I, I need to get this straight. You had not seen Akira before. I had never seen Akira before, and I feel – I watching it, I felt like this must be what somebody watching Lord of the Rings but having no familiarity with Tolkien must feel like. Because it felt like hmm. here's this whole you, – you practically needed the manga omnibus sitting next to you to get the full context of what's going on in the film. So I didn't care for it all that much. I mean, I, I respect it. I understand why it's it's notable, but it just wasn't for me. And uh, Fire and Ice, uh, if you've not seen that one, Drew, um, it, it was oh, – I've seen it. It's an interesting one. Listen – how old do you think I was when I saw both Heavy Metal and Fire and Ice? <laughs> the answer is far too young. Far too young. Um, but also, My Life as a Zucchini was a fantastic film. Uh, and then the one that I was hoping was going to win, and spoilers, it didn't. Uh, it gave me a chance to revisit uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which I still mm. absolutely love that film. But beyond that, uh, I revisited John Wick. I was getting ready to watch all three so that I could go watch four in the theater. And I got as far as the first one again and kind of lost my <laughs> momentum. But... Uh, that one, I was thinking, like, John Wick could be done as, like, that kind of concept we've come up with for after we're done with kids on bikes. Like, it takes place in a very, like, 48-hour period. It's a very short era type thing. Uh, revisited La La Land to show it to my girlfriend. I love that movie. And uh, Tetris ended up being a, a heck of a lot better than I expected it to be. So That's lots interesting. Of movies. I, I've, I've seen a trailer for Tetris, but I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to... To jump into that. I liked it. Um, Strangely enough, for me, uh, March only watched six films the entire month of March, which 
you know, they were all six movies new to me. But as as you know, I watch a lot of films, but I, a lot of other stuff took precedent. I saw five films on airplanes, uh, <laughs> three headed to the Galapagos and two headed back from the Galapagos. Always the best environment for films, too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I mean, listen, every filmmaker, that's exactly how they're intending to watch it. They want you to see it on like a four-inch screen with a screaming child <laughs> directly next to you. Uh, I watched the new Fletch film, Confess Fletch. Which I've heard fine. such great things about. I saw another movie, which we'll talk about a little bit towards the end or at the, exactly at the end. Uh, I watched DC League of Super Pets, which was pretty enjoyable. I, I heard watched, good things about uh, that. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which was uh, delightful, poignant, upsetting. One of the really only Oscar-nominated animated films I didn't get to. I think it's worth checking out. Yeah, I've um, heard that. It's, and it's not long. It feels a little long, but it's not actually long. And I, I finished uh, that slate of films up with Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Uh, which was better than it probably could have been or needed to be. It was. I really enjoyed it. Admittedly, I saw it at 3 a.m. and again, Screaming Children. So I, I, it might have been the perfect conditions, actually, to see that film. <laughs> but the one I, I kind of want to talk about uh, is a film from 1973 called Don't Look Now. It is a psychic thriller, their words, not mine. And it's a film in which Brett Goldstein, who we would definitely be talking about uh, very shortly, it's his favorite film and he talks about it every time he's on his podcast it seems like so i say well i gotta find out what this is and um i like a month and a half later i still don't know what i think about this film uh i have since listened to brett talk about it on the um evolution of horror podcast just an hour of him discussing that film in particular and i think i get a better grasp of it without saying anything to anybody uh spoiling anything i recommend it because it's so vastly different from anything I've ever seen before. So okay. uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's not appropriate for children. <laughs> but it it's, yeah, it's in, it's just it's just really, really interesting. Interesting. Well, we're dancing around uh, <laughs> the one movie that we really should probably talk about, because I know we both have seen it, you know, doing a, a, a RPG podcast, and that is, of course, Dungeons and Dragons. Honor Among Thieves. Yeah, so I've seen it. You've seen it twice. Twice. I watched it once uh, with my girlfriend and once with my D&D group. <laughs> right. And you know what? Honestly, that seems like the the two ways of, of seeing this. Uh, yeah. What did you think of the film? Again, I, I think we could do this. It's a new movie. Let's not spoil anything yeah. for the most part. But I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like it for what it is, which is a hell of a lot better than the uh, decade-old attempt at Dungeons & Dragons with Jeremy Irons and Thora Birch. Uh, which was the only movie I ever bought when I was in my prime of buying movies on DVD and stuff. The only movie I ever bought and then immediately sold. <laughs> um, I think it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun uh, to me if you watch it thinking of Chris Pine not as a character, but as the sarcastic player sitting at the table inserting his commentary on everything that's going on. <laughs> yeah. Stylistically, I, I had some issues with it because it is trying too hard to be other movies. Like, it doesn't have its own style towards the end of the movie in particular without, again, without spoiling anything. There are several riffs that are just ripped straight from uh, the Avengers movies, you know, and it just, it, it, it kind of has an Oceans vibe to it with the heist type stuff. It just, but it doesn't find its own flavor. But I enjoyed it. I had fun watching it. I actually wanted it to be more 
because I wanted to be authentic to Dungeons and Dragons and the experience I have playing with, you know, my friends around the table. I wanted to be more like Monty Python and the Holy Grail because, yes. I, you know, it <laughs> it didn't devolve into total chaos nearly as much as a, as a, a, your average game of D&D. But I loved it. I loved the experience and I uh I would I would go multiple times especially with my gaming groups if I if I had gaming I have one gaming group around here. I thought I I just had a blast. I had a blast. I, it had everything that I needed from it, and it has created so many interesting conversations of homebrews and how, <laughs> like you know, is is this? Uh, I felt very pedantic watching it. Going, wait a second, what level are these characters? And they have released you know character sheets, and they're way more powerful than they. Than I thought they were. Uh, yeah. Narratively, they all seem like they should be fairly like early to mid level, and they're all like in their 15, 16, 17, and eighteens. They're all like epic level almost. I but, I did uh, at one point in the movie, and again, I don't think this is spoiling anything. Uh, I did at one point in the movie have to lean over and look at my druid who was sitting three or four seats down and go, <laughs> "No, you can't wild shape the change that many times in a day." <laughs> Which I love the fact that they added that to her character character sheet as a custom ability that she has. So that is the main point of conversation that I really, I, I think I loved out of it. And again, something like this really should create these conversations. I think I'm going to have to play D&D differently from now on. Um, <laughs> I, I just kind of feel like that's what a D&D game should be. And I almost feel like rather than all of these rules, and that's basically what Dungeons & Dragons is, all these rules aren't there to show all the cool things a game a, a player can do. It almost limits what they can do. And I, yes. I kind of feel like the rule of cool really should be emphasized more. And, I, and I'm not saying we're every table. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, no, 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 it'll be total chaos. Listen, every game of D&D is total chaos anyway. Uh I just feel like D&D doesn't allow my players to do the things they want. Magic never allows them to do the things they want. Leveling up is fun and allows you to, you know, do some fiddly bits and it's basically just accounting. Again, I've said it many times, D&D, not my bag. Right. But I think it could be. And I've been going to a couple of folks online and going, well, how how would you do this? How would you do this? And, And I don't have a concrete or definitive answer to those questions yet but i really feel like in the last week since i've seen the movie i've started those conversations and it's Good. something that's got me really excited about maybe with dnd uh, one dnd we can tweak some things or uh, one dnd is dead point me in yeah. the direction of a what's that <laughs> one dnd is dead but oh yeah 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 that's true that's right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 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 okay anyway um, <laughs> it's a good film. I really liked it. Because I'm the film critic, I also want to point out that same scene that I'm referencing about the wild about the wild form, the wild shape change. Uh-huh. Um, that is one, uh, it, or it is presented as uh, one like three, four minute long sequence that's a single shot, which I didn't realize the first time I watched it. It was the second time I watched it. It was like, oh, wait, there's no obvious cuts in this. This is brilliant. I love that because that's my favorite thing in film is like extended long single shot camera. Yeah. There, and there's so many great films that do it, do it really well, and uh, I I love that. Yeah. In fact, watching that scene, it was like I kind of wish this was in 3D. Now the the most important part about Dungeons and Dragons, I need to be asked, Rafe, did you did you get the bucket? Did you get the D20 popcorn bucket? <laughs> I got 
the bucket. My girlfriend and I went to like the first showing because it, it was during spring break. So I was off. Uh, we went to like the first showing. Uh, I asked if they had any buckets left. The cashier looked next to him, picked up the one that was there on the counter and handed it to me. So I paid for it. My girlfriend behind me then asks if they have any buckets left. He reached over, grabbed another one that was on the counter and then tells the other cashier we're out of buckets now. (laughs) So we bought the last two at the theater that we went to. So yes, I have a bucket. Have you? seen how much they're going for on eBay. I have not, because I don't want to sell it. And if I see how much they're going for, I might feel inclined to do that. It's grotesque. It's really grotesque. Now I'm going to have to look. (sighs) All right. Well, D&D, certainly uh, a role-playing game that we will have plenty of conversations about. Um, Have you played anything? recently that uh, i haven't played anything uh even my D group hasn't met i think since the last time we recorded uh but i have been reading some new games uh that i hadn't gotten a chance to really read the nice thing about having spring break is you know i didn't have to worry about work for a week so uh i did finally open up my collection of stealing stories for the devil and uh been reading through that and i really want to pull a group together to play that i i, I think that could be so much fun and i think i think you would get a blast out of it because it is so rules light and it is so the entire table is telling the story type system and I love that and then I've also been finally reading uh, Everyday Heroes I've had it uh, in PDF uh, for probably several months now, but my physical copy just finally showed up. And I I just, there's something about having that tangible physical copy that yeah, finally I get that. prompts me to do that. Now, I have been playing during spring break. I needed a distraction. I needed something to focus on. And uh, I really wanted to get back to an MMORPG, uh, not a tabletop RPG. Uh, and But I have my issues with Blizzard still over the everything there. So I'm not going back to World of Warcraft. So I did fire back up Final Fantasy XIV and play some of that during spring break. I haven't picked it up since I had to go back to work, but uh, I, I did kind of uh, go back into the world of MMORPGs. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. How about you? What are you, what are you playing? What have you been looking at? Uh, I mean, I haven't got a chance to play. No, you've been uh, I, flying. I had one game <laughs> with my teenagers at the library. We had an Easter-themed game. It took them, we have a four-hour session. It took them about two and a half hours to realize that when the uh, the clerics of the moon asked them to sit atop the tallest tower and bathe the giant egg in moonlight, uh, that it may have been Easter-themed. And it wasn't until they were attacked by um, were-rabbits that they, they, they glommed onto the situation. Um, luckily for them, they defeated the were-rabbits uh, before the thing that was in the egg hatched out. They would have had a real issue fighting that after... They didn't work together as much as I was hoping for, you know, so when the mage who has the ability to cast magical weapon doesn't, and the ranger only has thorn whip to fight off the magical, it just, it was a, it was an issue, but, um, it was fun. And again, I bag on D&D a lot, but there is something really enjoyable about playing with young people who have never really played and, and they're kind of like feeling the game out that I do love. Yeah. Um, as far as, uh, games themselves. Even though I didn't get a chance to play it yet, I did pick up a copy of Raccoon Sky Pirates, uh, where you are a group of raccoons who have an airship. Of course you're animals. Of course you're animals. <laughs> uh, in particular, I, I really, I like, I like steampunky stuff. Uh, I like raccoon stuff, so... Um, sure. Yeah. And then I got my copies after about a year and a half of some real, real shipping issues. Uh, my Kickstarter copies of a solo game called Final Girl. Uh, yes. That came in. It looks gorgeous. Um, Pretty sure we way... talked about that on one of our early episodes. We did. Yeah. So, I, you know, Final Girl came in. It looked really good. Of course, I have the Thing uh, version of it. Uh, of course. And I, 
<laughs> I have nothing if not consistent. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I've just haven't have had to do other things rather than game. But sure. um yeah, for the most part. Now um, you are more of our our podcast side of things, and so you did mention that. So, what what podcasts uh, can you talk about? Well, with only one exception, I'll get to that exception first. I have I, I've been listening to just one podcast for the last six months. Um, the exception, of course, there's a, a, a fantastic, fantastic podcast called One Shot, and the premise of One Shot is they take a, a gaming system and they do a one shot of it. You know, and the one shot isn't just one episode. Sometimes it might take anywhere between two to ten. 10 episodes to play that one shot, and they usually bring a celebrity. Those celebrities are very frequently gaming celebrities, but sometimes the gaming and uh, are are also celebrity celebrities, and so that's excellent. I, I know I've mentioned the Kids on Bikes one. I listen to the Kids on Bikes one uh, every year around fall that gets me started, but what I like about it is it gives me a chance to see how a system plays before I buy it, and sometimes it gives me a chance after I've buy it, bought it to see how it plays. It gives me an idea, a better, you know, like I'll buy 10 g- games at a time and I'll read them. And sometimes I get the, I conflate the rules and it's just kind of nice to like listen to other people play it. So sure. the one that I'm listening to now is Brindlewood Bay. We've talked about that oh. one. It's the Jessica Fletcher, little old ladies versus Cthulhu mystery game. Right. It's just starting off. It's really enjoyable. Uh, I, I think it's great. So that's the one shot podcast. The, Brett Goldstein's Films to be Buried With is just currently my podcast darling. I have been moved to tears by it. I am finding I'm getting to know myself better as a, both a film goer and as a human being. I know we've talked about it. I mean, I think we've talked about it. Maybe we haven't talked about it. We have. Um, yeah, no, I, I added it to my uh, queue and listened right. to the ones you Absolutely. recommended. Yeah. Okay, so um, there's two things I want to – two episodes. Um, one, I did mention that Brett Goldstein – talking about Don't Look Now on Evolution of Horror. That one's really great. And in that episode, he actually refers to Rob Reiner as an underrated film producer and says that um, his run has five perfect films. Yes. And it's pretty cool. So I thought that was neat that, that you know we have something in common. Uh, he has Patton Oswalt on. They start discussing like these ideas uh, of the parasocial relationship. You know, like I never really gave Patton Oswalt a second thought, but oh, now after Oswald. just a couple, he's great, right? But like, Listening to some of the things he said about both film and the relationship with film and character development narrative, I'm like, gosh, I really want to get to know more about Patton Oswalt a little bit better. And it started making me think of, like, what does it take to make a memorable NPC in a role-playing game? Like, and Patton Oswalt would not take much to create a Patton Oswalt-like character nope. that would make my players just go, hey, we don't really want to play this game anymore. We don't care about saving the prince from the tower. We what just if we just hang hung out him. with this guy the rest of the time? <laughs> right. And it's just, just the idea that the parasocial relationship, like this relationship we have with individuals uh, on the podcast, so I could have these little conversations in my headphones, um, makes me think of like, what does a good, what makes a good character what makes someone memorable and interesting? How can, in a very short period of time, can you bring that character to life? And and this conversation really dealt with that. So, I, yeah, I really like it. And I cannot recommend this podcast enough for any movie fan. Well, I, I think it's funny that you bring up the uh, the Rob Reiner uh, underrated Five Perfect Movies, because that was the only real podcast thing I had is uh, my friends over at the Double Edge Double Bill podcast, which is the one I did the animated uh, film uh, March Madness thing for. Their episode this week, as we're recording it, is an episode about uh, they, they pick a good movie and a bad movie under a theme. The theme this week is Roger Ebert, because this is, you know, we're hitting the 10-year anniversary of his death. 
Um, wow. And so they picked, they looked at, at like his books and stuff and picked a good movie and a bad movie, you know, a movie that he loved and a movie that he hated. And the movie that he hated that they picked was North. <laughs> and in their discussion of North, they almost word for word go through the same dialogue you and I had on our last episode about that run that he had that, you know, Stand By Me and and uh, uh, Spinal Tap and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, it, it, like, it just cracked me up because I'm listening to it going, we just, Drew and I just had this conversation. <laughs> That's uh, cool. But the one thing I do want to recommend, I'm not... I'm not a huge YouTube fan because I guess I'm old school and when I'm looking up directions or I'm looking up information or that kind of stuff, I still want to read it. But more and more uh, over the last decade or so, when my friends are sending me information, they send me YouTube videos. And as I've gotten into crafting terrain for my D&D game, I've started looking more and more at videos as well. And this one video feed popped up on my recommended for you and it's called the emergent gm it's actually a feed that just started he's only done like a dozen episodes if that they're all really bite-sized four five minutes long on topics and some of the topics i i really feel like he's tapping into the same energy that you and i tap into with what he suggests so like he has an episode where he does talk about what can we learn from honor among thieves to inspire us at our table you know what what ideas can we take from so I highly recommend it. He's he's got a really good speaking voice, and again, he's got some. I feel like he's got similar energy to what you and I have, uh, and and similar ideas. And again, they're bite sized. So they're, you're you're watching a three, four, five minute video, and that's it. And I that I particularly like. He puts out like one a week, and they're and I've enjoyed them. I've they've given me things to think about that we sometimes take for granted, which is something I've learned from you over the course of our conversations and over the course of this podcast is. You know, what are aspects of role-playing games that I've always taken for granted that now I need to look at differently? And that's Hmm. something I've gotten a lot from his YouTube channel. So I do recommend that. Awesome. I'd like to piggyback on that just just to throw something out there. If you're looking for very quick videos, you know, Instagram has reels and there's one called the Church of Doom. Church of Doom does a daily just D&D. It's about a minute and a half long, two minutes long. And every single episode's a banger. Um, And it's just fantastic ideas. You can... You can go and look at a week's worth of stuff and, and probably get two or three months worth of ideas for you. So that's that's absolutely. I have added that to my list because that sounds right up my alley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. I, I like short, bite-sized, consumable. <laughs> if that's how I'm going to have to get it, I like. I prefer. Oh, I mean, I, I there there was a time pre grad school where I would sit and watch three hours of YouTube videos of of gaming mechanics and Bruce Coville and. And, and now there's just Instagram is the way to go with these reels, bite-sized ideas. Weird things you can do in D&D is a great one where it's just talking about how broken the system is and how it's like, you know, if you're a fifth level this and you do this and you're this race and you do this, you can do this. And you're like, well, that doesn't seem fair for anybody. <laughs> um, and, and it's the, exactly the kind of thing where like, I know my players are probably watching those going, yeah, I want to, I want to do that. And I was like, that's not the point of the game. <laughs> Anywho, that's, I mean, that's a lot of movies, uh, role-playing games and podcasts. So yeah. that's the end of our podcast, folks. Uh, thank right. you so much it's for joining good. us. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have hey, a lot more work to do here, Drew. We certainly do. Let's talk a little bit about Stand By Me, unless you've got something else you want to talk about uh, that you've covered since the last time we chatted. I came here to talk about Stand By Me. Let's talk about Stand By Me. What do you have to say about Stand By Me? What did we miss last time? 
I was it the soundtrack? Totally, no, you mentioned the soundtrack. You made a point uh, of pointing out that you were breaking from our pattern and talking about the soundtrack. No, I made a. I, I had this in my notes and somehow completely forgot to talk about it when we were talking about the movie. And that is that the movie is this really interesting case of art imitating life and life imitating art, both in the way the characters are uh, in the movie and the way the actors were both behind the scenes of the movie and the way the actors were since the movie. And like in that, like the, again, we talked about, you know, Rob Reiner bullying, bringing the boys together and kind of having them form these relationships before he started filming. But Will Wheaton has gone on interviews and talked about the dynamic that was formed in that. And that, that very much what you see on screen was kind of the way they were, you know, that Corey Feldman was kind of odd man out in that he had all this other Hollywood experience and, you know, he kind of had an ego and that kind of stuff. And uh, River Phoenix really was kind of the peacekeeper between the group and trying to be that that leader type thing. And Will Wheaton just felt awkward and, and felt like, you know, I mean, he was having parental issues in real life. He didn't want to do the movie. His parents got him to do it under duress, but he didn't want, like, if you, the more you read or hear Will Wheaton talk about his career as a child actor, the more you realize, boy, he really kind of was Gordy in that his parents just wanted this and they didn't care about him. But if you think about it, since the movie, you know, Chris Chambers uh, has a tragic young death, which is what prompts the events of the movie and River Phoenix passed away. Gordy Lachance is a writer. Will Wheaton is a writer. You know, Corey Feldman is still kind of that odd uh, fellow. I mean, having met him in real life having done press uh, uh with him present it's he's he's a character and then both in all of it Vern, you know jerry o'connell just doesn't fit the mold <laughs> you know he just right. doesn't <laughs> he he grew up to be hot and marry rebecca remains you know i mean it's like it's not no <laughs> so it uh um yeah i just i find that interesting this this way that the art imitated kind of life that the characters that the actors were and but then since the movie in the years, the decades that have gone by, the way they kind of grew into those characters anyway. And Will Wheaton has talked about that as well. So it's not it's not an original idea that I had about it. It was something I just wanted to point out and forgot about. That's interesting. Yeah. I guess I guess I don't know enough about any of the the actors' lives to have drawn those conclusions. So thank you for drawing my attention to that. That's yeah. that's uh, something to think about. I only have role-playing game stuff. So you have anything else to talk about the movie proper? Like, I feel like we really covered that one yeah, really we, well. Yeah, we hit it really well. And, and I mean, especially considering that after I finished watching it, I didn't think we'd have much of a conversation. We, I mean, it was our it's our second or third longest, longest episode yeah, to date. Yeah. So, yeah. I had three notes that I wanted to – when I was watching the film, I was just kind of like, turn these into gaming mechanics. And I guess I just – missed it while we were talking uh so i, I want to i did some work on that one of them i'm not super happy with but it's still a work in progress maybe maybe our listeners can help me with it the first one i'm actually quite happy with and that's a pinky promise so we get we get the pinky promise between uh gordy and chris right and i was trying to figure out how because pinky promise really was a thing right like it's like cutting our hands and doing blood brothers or friendship bracelets this is a kind of a thing that kids kids do you know show that we we care and, and we're serious about something so how do we gamify that how do we take this beautiful moment between people and turn it into rules <laughs> and yet you criticize D for being too rules rule centric rule intensive <laughs> so um when a pinky promise is made two characters create a bonded action uh, and this can be for for anything that creates uh any a plus one to any role that benefits the promise 
and a negative one roll to any that's in opposition to the promise. Once the promise is fulfilled, bond ends, and the character can only take part in one pinky promise at a time. So this is one of those things where, yeah, it's kind of fun. Like, I think this is this is specifically for this movie, or uh, I think it could be applied to any Kids on Bikes game uh, or anything that's that has young characters sure. playing in it. But I think I think making that promise and gamifying it reminds the player that that is in play right. uh, and isn't just a narrative thing. I, 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 I'm as a game master, there's so many things you have to worry about that sometimes I forget about these important things. So if you give them a little bit of a bonus or a subtraction, your players are going to be a little bit more likely to remember. So that's the pinky promise. What do you think? Uh, could I tweak anything with that? I, I like it. And I like it not only as a kid's on bike. In fact, when you were describing it and this bonded action and stuff, I was like, there's actually two characters in my current D&D campaign, which is not a kid's on bikes inspired thing by any means. But I, I like I could apply that with them the way that they've yeah. kind of sworn to protect each other. It's like, OK, yeah, I, I could I could see that. So I like it. I like that a lot. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Well, listen, if you if you or anybody else listening wants to apply this to your game, and this is true for anything that we discuss here, if you use it in, in your group, please let us know how it worked out for you. And if you think there's a way to tweak it, that's the whole point of this. It's, it's a conversation. Right. Um, all right. So throughout the game, uh, Vern and Teddy are just punching each other, stupid, and doing the two for flinching. A game that, let's face it, is pretty mean-spirited. And while Vern that's and so Teddy funny. are... <laughs> Well, well, Vern and Teddy are not the, you know, they're they're kind of the least written of the th- four characters. Uh, and I was trying to figure out how you do two for flinching in game mechanic wise. And so this is essentially a game within the game. Uh, so the player characters will pick another character to play this game within a game with. So you're going to come up with an idea for a trigger that will happen within the game. Think hot potato. So if you're in possession of the hot potato when it triggers an effect occurs. And again, this is like, this is very rules light and very up in the air, but any time during the game, the players can challenge each other to something like um, uh, a straight roll off, right? So D20 versus D20. Or if you're playing with something like D&D or anything that involves stats, maybe a stat roll off where uh, my stat bonus is better than your stat bonus. So I know that I'm, I'm going to have an advantage, but when they call you, they might do the thing that they have better. So Something that's more likely for one to win than the other. Okay. If at any point in time that the game effect triggers and you have flinched, you have to reap the whirlwind. So here's an example. So the trigger is rolling a critical failure. So if at some point in time in the game you've rolled a critical failure and you have the – I'm going to put the, 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 the flinch, the hot potato, uh, you'll have to do something. So no one's rolled it yet, but you and, you and, I, you and I are characters playing this. Uh, at some point in time, something might have happened to you, and I might go, all right, Rafe, uh, I'm rolling against your so-and-so, and we both roll, I win, you have the hot potato. Uh, we play another something, we do it again, you win, I have the hot potato, and I roll a critical failure. We have to do, I have to do something. Right. Maybe not in-game, maybe it's after, out of game, like, I have to buy you the next snack, or I have to go and order the pizza, or... <laughs> Like the the thing about it is, it doesn't necessarily have to be something that affects the game, but it's a the game within the game. Like that's the thing is, it's it's a game within the story that has no effect, right. and they don't even really follow the rules. But I really like the idea that it's something that can spontaneously come up in a scene when nothing else is going on. So it's like I, I don't know. There's four of us, and two of the characters are having a moment, and the game master suddenly turns to you and I, and we're not doing anything, and I just go. 
two for flinching it, we both roll, you know, like that kind of a thing. So right. I feel like it, it, it happens enough in the movie that I wanted to do something for it. Yeah. All right. So there's uh, a term that's used in this one, which is a goocher, right? Where they all flip their nickels and they all get tails. And right. that's a bad thing. Uh, in the book, the opposite is also happens, and that's called moons where they all get the good thing. So a goocher and a moon are when you get the worst possible rolls, multiple worst possible rolls in a row. So this is not a thing that should happen often. This should be one of those things where it's like a bad moon. Like, you know, like you roll a 20 and then you roll a 20 again. That's great. You've got a moon. Someone rolls a one and then a one, you know, for doing the D20, that's a goocher. Or uh, you, you're doing a game like um, Powered by the Apocalypse where you're only using D6s and you've got two ones or two sixes. That comes into play. And when that comes into play, you can choose... I don't know, like one or two of the following effects. So in addition to the failure or the success, GM can allow the the Goocher token on the table so everyone knows, and it chooses something. Like, for instance, in Kins on Bikes, if the Goocher is called, uh, the PC that rolls the failure doesn't get any kind of benefit. So you get no AT from from failures until a moon is rolled, like mm-hmm, which okay. might not happen for a while. So you might have a real bad luck streak. In a different system, Goocher could affect the party rather than just the PC, so it might now, instead of one bad thing happening to one character, it happens to everybody. The game master, if it's if it's a bad roll, might make the the challenge rating for an encounter harder or easier, or something lucky might happen in a game like D anD D where you have disadvantage or something like that. So anyway, so moons are the similar. It's fortunate. Um, Gucci's the bad ones. Um, if one's in effect and the other one is rolled, they cancel each other out. So I was just thinking, you know. There are three terms that could have been gamified, and I wanted to come up with something, and so I came up with those. Sure. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I, I like all yeah. of them, and I like all of them uh, beyond just you know what we're talking about as far as like uh, kids on bikes. I, I, I could see using those in another type, type game, too, depending on you know the it, it kind of like what we talk about with these movies and what we talk about with these games. It's all about the relationships between the characters. And so if you right, have, it, it doesn't matter if it's not a kids on bikes game. If you have a D&D group and they have that kind of adversarial two for flinching type relationship between two characters, man, throw it in. Sure. Yeah. And it's kind of nice, like on a roll, you know, like uh, moons is you're on a roll. Sometimes we have uh, we. I played a game with my my teens. I may have even mentioned this fairly recently. They had to stop an airship filled with uh, skeleton pirates from bombing a, a a magical school with some kind of magical spell. And they <laughs> rolled, I think, in a three hour session, thirteen critical failures. <gasps> now, oh dear God. that session ended in a total party kill because they just couldn't they just couldn't succeed and and i and about halfway through it as these are rolling i'm like look you're not bad players these are just bad dice now do you want to play the dice that are on the table and take the bad results or do you want me to narratively fudge this a little and they're like no 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 let's play it like a game and i was like cool all right and they all died and i said no that doesn't happen often but you know that's a possibility and they're like yeah all right you know, three sessions in, three or four sessions in for some of them, they got to uh, experience complete disaster. I mean, I have never <laughs> seen it. Like, it fail. So they fully gooched uh, those rolls. Like, gooched big time. <laughs> See, I'm thinking of, um, I think it's How I Met Your Mother, where they had a character from their past who was uh, haunted with bad luck. And they referred to him as the gooch, the goocher. No 
way yeah. seriously yeah and so when you said it could be the whole party i'm thinking well it could just be like the one cursed character that everything they try to assist with ends up going wrong you know like i can I, I, there's there's kind of nefarious ways i could think of using that so that's cool i like that i like that and i also like that a tv show you know no kind of where its roots were from yeah well uh without further ado we drafted some characters last time we did uh, <laughs> shall we <laughs> And I can't wait to read the uh, the responses on Facebook uh, from this draft, but I want to stat them first. Okay. Uh, do you want to stat your character first? I, I do, because you have no idea how much effort I put into this. Because I I, I when I, I think I even made the offhand remark last time, I was like, oh, I, because I'm getting another uh, funny sidekick. And I started looking at him and thinking, really thinking. I had Vern, for those who, who missed the episode. I have Vern. I have I have the fat kid. I have the uh, the one who doesn't really fit, and I started thinking about him more and more and more and more. And I ended up as I'm going through this, I was changing stuff. I wish you had had the document open so you could see the evolution of uh, uh, the statting of this character. And I ended up with a character that I kind of want to play at some point oh. that I think is true to the character as he's presented in the movie. So I'm happy I love with hearing it. that. Yeah. So instead of the funny sidekick, because I feel like I've gone to that too many times, partially because we were limited to the, the 1.0 rules uh, and partially just because it's the lazy way I've gone to funny sidekick. And I started thinking about it. And instead, I, I was like, I really want something that has, you know, some of these stats low. Like, I really want to think about like I this Vern is not going to fight. You know, he's mm -hmm. not tough. So all those physical stats, I want those to be the low end of stuff. And I started looking at things. And I was like, oh, we have the goody-goody. Yeah. And Fern is the goody-goody. He has to be coerced into almost anything illicit that they're going to do. He Hell, he doesn't even want to go on this trip in the first place. He keeps going, I don't know. My mom would be mad. I don't know. I don't think so. And... Uh, and he, he does, he's the one member of the group who does value what his parents think about and that kind of stuff. And the stats lined up. So I went with the goody, goody, goody as his trope, uh, for his strengths. I, I think he's unassuming. Yeah. Nobody really thinks anything in particular of him. So I went with unassuming and I went with easygoing because he is kind of laid back. He is the least tense member of this party, <laughs> um, for his flaw. And I, and I changed that strength a couple of times, I will tell you. Uh, some yeah. of these things I juggled around. For his flaw, he's clumsy because, you know, he drops the comb. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that works really well because the that flaw can be used in a humorous way right. in the game that that pulls to the the kind of idea of his archetype as being a, a kind of funny sidekick. But the goody-goody makes so much more sense. Yeah. So now what you're doing is you're a goody-goody with a side of clumsy – really fits both of those. And I think it's a really good way of handling that. Yeah. For his knack, and his this knack was originally one of his strengths, and the one of the things that's in his backpack was originally his knack. And as I said, I was juggling stuff around. His knack is local lore. Because if you think anytime they bring up a location or they start talking about some urban legend for their stuff, he is on top of it. He's the one who actually explains everything to the audience about, oh, that's right. That like when this happened and, and that kind of stuff. So I think local lore is his knack. He knows what's going on in the town. That's a uh, good way of handling it. In his backpack, his physical item had to be the comb. I mean, that just had right. to be the comb. Like the, anything else didn't make sense. But for his abstract. And Cherry Pez, too. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Cherry Pez. Uh, but for his abstract, I put his brother 
or his family. I think his brother, though. His brother's reputation is his abstract item that's in his backpack. Some people aren't going to mess with him, even though he is this goody-goody, because his brother is in that gang. I actually love this, because you could also... People might not... They won't mess with him, but also the other side of that coin is because he might be associated with that. And right. that, that'll come up with my character a little bit as well. That's good. I really like that. But also the unassuming helps balance that out. So they might not trust him, but he's also unassuming. So they that won't hurt him as badly as it might have. That's good. I Yeah. I told you I put a lot of thought into this. Yeah, this, time. this is great. This is great. Okay, what about the bike? His bike, uh, his bike is you know a hand me down from his brother because his brother got the good stuff. So it's grass because yes. it's had the paint chipped off of it. But that does give you the the benefit of if you know the area, you cannot get lost, which ties into his knack for local lore. Love it. And then his upgrade is that it is a 10-speeder, which comes with the benefit of lower gear, which is you can shift into a lower gear and pedal hard to add D4 to your flight checks, but you suffer a negative one to all brawn and grit checks until you fully catch your breath. And I feel like that aligns with the fact that brawn and grit are low stats for him anyway, (laughs) so those are not going to be modes that he goes to, so the fact that he's suffering a penalty makes sense to me. So I I went with something that, as I said, I kind of want to play this character now. (laughs) Yeah. No, this is this is good. And I think you took a character that that would have been pigeonholed as a a funny sidekick and made them very well rounded for this. Which is why one of the reasons the kids on bike system is so good. Yeah. And it doesn't take much to do so. And it's it's like there's very little math involved with this, but the narrative I mean, I you, you do the, the, the five or six questions starting uh, and I you've got a perfectly perfectly well rounded character. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm, yeah, I don't, I mean, it seems patronizing to say I'm really proud of you, man, but like, it's a really <laughs> no, good, I'm, I'm actually good quite proud of it, so. of getting the most out of a, a character like that. I don't, yeah. I feel like mine is not nearly as good, but let's, let's go for it. So I got Chris, right? Right. The trope is tricky. I, I also wanted to go with the stats. I thought grit and brawn more so, I don't think he would run so flight's not really kind of his thing right um and he talks about not being smart i think he's emotionally actually really quite intelligent even if he's having he's struggling in school if this was D, he'd have a high intelligence but lower wisdom or what or is, do i have those reversed no he, lower wisdom high high wisdom low yeah, intelligence low intelligence yeah. yeah and 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 a really good charisma right because charisma right. could be used for both talking your way out of things but also intimidation yeah uh agreed and there's there's a kind of a trick with their tropes. I went with young provider. Now, young provider mm-hmm. is usually the responsible member of the family that takes care of the other members of the family. I actually think he's almost like a young loner where I don't I think he's actually the opposite of this where he is trying to distance himself from his family. Sure. Like the whole point of it is but I also feel like he's probably feels some kind of family obligation. I, I think the character as it is at the beginning of the movie would absolutely be a young provider. He feels locked into his family's reputation and it's that growth over the course of the movie that is causing him to suddenly go, okay, maybe I can get away from this. So I think young providers absolutely, absolutely dead on it. Cause he probably is a provider for his family at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Oh, and I'm just thinking this too. It's like, you know, we talk a little bit about your proclivities for, for getting these funny sidekicks. All of my characters are ones who have somehow alienated themselves from their families. Um, if you think of like Moses alienated himself as a family, 
uh, Cody Walpole kind of alienated himself from his family. Yeah, not really his fault in many ways, but like these are the characters who who are kind of loners and who go out on their own, which is why getting them as a group is going to be so interesting. Um, for his strength, he's protective, and he's protective specifically only with the people that he cares about, which. I guess are these four, like the three other kids, um, yeah. but specifically Gordy and his other strength is loyal. Uh, I think, you know, if he, if, if he is doing things for the group that he's a part of, he's really good at it. But right. if it's just for himself, maybe not for other people, maybe not. I think his flaw is self-doubt. Uh, I think this oh, is a character yeah. who, who doesn't realize how important he is to other people's lives, but is so desperate looking for people to kind of love him back. Like, and he doesn't feel like he's worth the love. His knack, boy, the knack was tricky trying to come up with a t- term. I was like, I wrote cheerleader first because he's really good at like, or psychotherapist, or he's really good at drawing <laughs> out what's best in other people, even though he doesn't do it for himself. So I'm calling it bolster. Mm. Once per session, he can do the bolster, which is he can basically, uh, I guess if this was D&D, it would be almost like bardic inspiration. Um, right. He can, I was trying to figure out a way to do it with fear. You know, like he could talk people in so that they aren't as afraid of, of doing something. But I don't think that's mechanically the way it works. Right. But I really like the idea that he pulls out the best of somebody else. Sure. I, uh, I love the his... fact that we're doing our, our tropes and statting these characters for kids on bikes. And yet we've several times started creating your character in D&D too. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, and that's the thing too. Right. I mean, like, you know, D&D is the system that I think more people know. And, and when you when you compare it to Dungeons and Dragons, you can also say, hey, anything you can do in D&D, you can do sure. anywhere else. And that, that really goes to the point of it doesn't matter what system you're doing in him. Uh, in his abstract. Uh, in his backpack, abstract-wise, he has the detru- distrust of the people of Castle Rock. You know, people don't trust him. His probably family doesn't trust him. You know, anywhere you go. And this is a this is clearly a bad thing to carry around with you. Right. And that distrust, unlike Vern, might cause people to antagonize him to begin with. Like, sure. They, they might start off with negatives across the board. Physically... Well, you know he's got to have a pack of cigarettes, right? He's always smoking. But he also, right. in the movie, has a loaded gun. Now, I yes. have on many times spoken about how much I hate guns being pointed at kids. And this happens quite a few times in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but the idea that one of my kids has a loaded gun is so terrifying to me. Right. That the whole p- thing that – my point of all of my game sessions is how can I get out of the situation where the gun would actually solve the problem? without pulling the gun out like that is sort of like the little devil on the shoulder where it's like well you know in some games that that's going to be your easy out and you just can't do it you can't do it you know and when you do that's the end of the game like if you've pulled the gun out you lost that's the final session yeah 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 i like that i like that a lot yeah what about his bike his bike is purple and it says you can treat snap decisions as planned actions i think he doesn't want to be the leader. I think emotionally he is kind of the leader uh, in this sense. And I think like he will spring into action when everybody else is feeling indecisive. That sort of, we see that in the train sequences and kind of throughout the, the story. So I think that works. And uh, for an upgrade, I went with banana seat, uh, which allows you to to bring another character with you on that bike. That makes sense. And, and 
I gotta say, Chris spends most of the movie carrying the others, uh, you sure. know, like emotionally and metaphorically. But I think that kind of works really well. Like he would be the one who has an extra bike uh, space on his bike for somebody else. Sure. No, so, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he's a good character. Like the more I spent time thinking about what made him tick, the more I was looking at shifting my team around that character mm-hmm. and it was the, exactly the thing i did not want to do which was is this my first white male character <laughs> am i already <laughs> it's not cody walpole is but it's like cody's also kind of a quasi leader character and i'm like you know i don't want to get all the way here with my team and then just go well i got the white guys let's let's go ahead and put him in the leader position but uh this i'm really excited for the next three episodes to uh, to figure out like what my my 12 to choose from is going to be so i think it's a testament once again to stand by me as a film as a story that we can take these characters and develop them so thoroughly as rpg characters uh, especially someone like Vern, you know i mean it's like as you said right. he's one of the underwritten characters but there's still a lot there to it just some of it is implied no agreed i think of all the the stories that we've talked about um these characters are the most characters i like they they have the most individual characteristics and they're not just you know it's it's really easy to trope most of the other characters in these right. movies because they're just that you know like you know i hate to say it with goonies but there's there's not a lot of uh we, we talked about how some of the characters aren't particularly well rounded they are you you could sum them up in a single word right the same is said for like quite a few of the other films but this you know there's there's a lot to work with there's a lot to mine and uh i definitely felt like i probably spent uh more time with this than i uh, with these characters than i did with the other one all right drew you still have to announce the next movie that we're doing because this is closing up shop on stand by me for us but before we get to that we got to talk a little bit about some feedback that we've gotten. Yeah, some feedback. We've gotten a lot of feedback. Uh, the first thing, let's just talk about social media. Um, sure. First thing, and I guess I probably could have brought this up. You know, you were talking about going onto YouTube and finding some people. There's a, a Facebook group. I think it's also on Instagram called Designers and Dragons. It's uh, there's just a history of role-playing games told one game company at a time. They're doing an A through Z every day for the month of April. And there's some really great games in there. So if you got a moment and you want to take a look, um, the write-ups are fantastic. The histories are fantastic. And the reasons for why you should play them are also fantastic. So I'm just cool. going to throw that out there here um, before I forget. Okay. Uh, on our Facebook page, we got some great responses since the last episode. Graham responded with, I only got to listen to the first hour yesterday, then caught the end this morning. The game mechanics discussion was awesome. Thank you, Graham. I have looked into some of the storytelling games because they sound like a huge fun. They are. They're, uh, those storytelling games are fantastic. But then Graham hit us with this little nugget. And he said, also, Rafe, what were your five definitive movies? Because during our last episode, you said that, you know, that there was that meme going around. I don't remember this one. Uh, this is exactly the kind of meme I would love where you're like, you know, five movies that you would show somebody so they could get to know you. Stand By Me is one of them. And before we get to your answers for the other four, mm-hmm. I want to I want to post an idea here and see what you think. At the end of our, our regular episodes, I'm going to do I kept calling it podcast homework. Uh, maybe that's not the right the right thing. Just a question I want to ask. Give you a whole like couple of weeks to think about it. And you can answer it um, in a in a special episode or something along those lines. This would okay. be an example of it, similar to what five <laughs> movies would you show somebody? This can be about role playing games. It could be about movies or both. If you like it, 
It gives us a little extra fun thing to think about. Sure. You might not need extra Because we don't have enough content in the episodes already. We need to add another thing to it. (laughs) Listen, my goal is eventually to uh, have this podcast last longer than your average gaming session. So um, (laughs) just without the snacks. Some people were like, yes, let's do that. And some people are like, no, please. It's it's really good at an hour. So um, aside from Stand By Me, what are the uh, uh, other four movies that you would show somebody else for them to get to know you? Okay. Is that how so, it's, it's, so, that so how the it's idea was that you just—it's just a list of five movies that best define you, that best represent you. Um, if they mm. see those, they're, they're not necessarily your favorite movies. They're not necessarily the best movies, but they are five movies that if somebody watched these movies, they would understand you a little bit better. For me, it ended up being a lot of movies that were like these. These are movies that I quote endlessly, uh, mm-hmm. and so you're going to get those references if you see these movies. So for me, the the five as of current because I had to rethink this were sure. um, Stand by Me, mm-hmm. The Muppet Movie. Oh, love it. The Princess Bride. Uh-huh. Star Wars, the original. Uh-huh. And The Matrix. Yeah, those are great. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, there are reasons behind those. The, you don't have to go into the reasons, but that would be my definitive five movies. Stand By Me, The Muppet Movie, The Princess Bride, Star Wars, and The Matrix. Now, you thought about this, too. Oh, Rafe, this is the hardest thing I've done in the last two weeks. Um, <laughs> not, I thought and overthought this. Like, at one point in time, I had five movies listed, and then there were, like, I realized that all five of the movies were from the 1990s and I needed to have like alternates so it didn't seem like I was just a one note. And of course, you know, these are – I yeah, okay. So I overthought it. Here's my list. Uh, number one, Barton Fink from 1991. Um, it's a Coen Brothers film. It's yes. quirky uh, and it's about the creative process and it's about the frustration with the creative process. And it's something that I, I, I saw it and went, oh, this is I the movie that. I think I, I can most relate to. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> the second one is Groundhog Day um, from 1993. Uh, this is a film that I think is uh, people are are understanding that it's not just a comedy that there's like a deeper spirituality. But like this is a film that I have had conversations many many hours into the night with people, and it's such an interesting thing to see what other people bring, like their views about this film. I could talk about it forever. Uh, and and I feel like in many ways that's that's kind of me. Also, it's you know goofy and humorous, and you know there's a a truck driving marmot. Um, the third is the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. Now I couldn't decide if I wanted this or the Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Um, Munchausen's from like I think 1990 or 1988. Uh, Sinbad's from 1973. But Sinbad has just... the Ray Harryhausen factor to it, right? And Harryhausen, like I wanted to be Harryhausen at one point sure. in time. You know, like the like it was a cross between like. The Muppets and stop motion animation. There was definitely a time. I like these amazing stories. I like monsters. I like stop motion. And just a side note, uh, there's a con in Atlanta called Monsterama. Um, It's happening, Mm -hmm. I think, late October 27th, 29th. And they're going to have Sinbad and the princess are both going to be there. uh, The actors who played. So the main two actors from this film are going to be there. And it's like, Atlanta's a bit of a drive for me, but boy, I I might try it. Um, yeah. Uh, the fourth movie, just in case you're like, these aren't all goofy or weird, is The Seven Samurai by Kurosawa, 1954. Um, this is a film that I can only watch like every five years. I can only watch it by myself. I have to drink sake while I'm doing it, and I ball the entire time. There's something about honor and loyalty. Sure. I refer to myself as an emotional desert. That's true. Um, but not with this film. This is your oasis. This is my oasis, yeah. Um, and it's one of those films where, like, I don't, like, didn't know that this film was going to have that effect on me. 
Um, and again, like, would I show this to somebody necessarily and say, this is me? Maybe if they really were going to get to know me. And the fifth film is Zardoz. Uh, <laughs> 1973's Zardoz, because it's the single weirdest film I think I've ever seen. I used to be embarrassed to tell people that I like this film because there's some subject matter in it that's that's not appropriate for all ages. But the older I get and the more I watch, and I've seen this film over 30 times, it is just so bonkers. Now, now uh, other films could go here. You could have done Buckaroo Banzai could have gone here. Uh, Hudson Hawk could have gone here, which is sort oh, of like... yeah. And these are films that I, I, I think aren't maybe necessarily great films, uh, aren't well well-received films, but I just truly, truly love them. But Zardoz is so out there that I feel like if someone were to watch these five movies and then still wanted to talk with me um, or spend time with me, that I think they would they would get a pretty good idea of what they were getting into. I, I feel like I have to explain mine just a little bit more now because I did. I just went through the list of the films. So real quick, uh, yes. stand by me because that was kind of, as I said, my childhood in a lot of ways. Uh, the Muppet movie is responsible for my sense of humor in so many ways, and I quote it incessantly. I'm such a diehard fan of The Muppets. Uh, the Princess Bride, to me, is, you know, the fantasy side of things, but also kind of what you talked about as far as, like, that sense of honor, the the way that, that Wesley is created in that and, and what he stands for and such. Star Wars is Joseph Campbell's, you know, Journey of the Hero. You know, I mean, Lucas made no qualms about the fact that that's what it's based on. And, and that's that is the fundamentals of storytelling as far as I'm concerned. And The Matrix is more my philosophical side. Um, for those who don't know, I did my uh, undergraduate thesis on The Matrix trilogy, justifying the sequels from a philosophical standpoint instead of a financial standpoint and going this these sequels, actually, whether you love them or hate them. I love them, uh, love them or hate them, they are justified through the philosophical information that the first Matrix is built upon. I love it that the Matrix is your philosophy. Groundhog Day, <laughs> right. um, which is which is sort of like, and again, both of them are powered by Eastern philosophy. Right. Um, and, and, and it's how you could get something very similar to both of those, but we, we took them from different approaches. And of course, my undergraduate degree is, is uh, social anthropology and uh, religious religious studies. So I, I wrote. I don't think I wrote about Groundhog Day, but I kind of did. Yeah. No. This is a good. This is a good one. I'm. I'm. I'm really glad that Graham asked you about that because I wanted to ask you about that. In fact, listening to the episode, I just put it on our our Google Doc immediately. I was like, if you right. if you'll agree to do it, I'll do it. So. And then I I just thought about almost nothing else for three or four days. <laughs> really. Uh, um. Speaking of Graham, another email is like, I shouted yes when you announced your pick. This is me, I guess, when I chose Chris. You got yourself a broken leader, which could unify the right misfit toys, possibly as a sacrificial lamb, but I don't think this is the, that kind of game. Probably God, I not. not. I hope not. <laughs> uh, but this is the part that I really want to stress. Also, let me be the first to apologize because Cody Walpole looks like he's going to be the odd man out just saying, you know what, Graham? Uh, it ain't over until all seven have been picked. We right. will. We'll see. On Facebook. Uh, Sarah said, great pick and episode. So good. Listen to it twice. You know what, Sarah? So did I. Uh, love the ideas you two introduced. The shortcut truth is particularly interesting. Of all the gamifications so far, this is the one I would be most interested in joining, which I think is really interesting. Right. We're getting that kind of response after saying, well, there's not much there. Uh, except she said, okay, except for maybe Goonies. It's hard to beat the Goonies. Uh, looking forward to the intermission episode and the next pick. Well, I hope you like it and the Can't next pick. Wait for the next pick. 
I know, me too. I created Google Doc for it uh, already. It's all done. I'll send you the link to it once I tell you what it is. Um, also on social media, we, we talked about our storytelling games. I told mentioned Alex Roberts for the Queen in our last episode. You did. I, I between you know the recording of the last episode uh, and this one, I uh, spent a week in the Galapagos Islands doing some charity work uh, and helping some sustainability and some um, low income housing. But I also brought For the Queen with me because I bring the For the Queen everywhere with me. Which um, you said on that episode, and I almost sent you a smart Alec message when I was editing it going, hey, did you bring that with you to the Galapagos? Oh, uh, I did. And yes, you I did. And I took a picture of uh, <laughs> the the pack at um, the Darwin Research Center. Uh, and Alex Roberts, uh, who is at Muscular Pikachu on Twitter, has pinned that on her account as her favorite fan response ever. So, yeah. Thanks, Alex. Um, thank you for... <laughs> Really one of my favorite games of all time. I, I was at one point in time going to put the cards out in front of a tortoise uh, as if we were playing a game, but we are not allowed to approach the tortoises more than six feet away, and I was afraid that they were going to take a bite out of them. So Fair. there we go. Yeah, that is that is a lot. But you know what? You said you want to talk about the next game. Should we talk about crowdsourcing? <laughs> I have a rant for crowdsourcing, and I'm trying to think about why. Like, I, I feel like I need to say it, but I'm wondering if we shouldn't save it for another month that we don't have as much to talk about. Well, let me. Can I quickly just mention something on crowdsourcing? Yes. Um, so there's one game that I, I saw that I kind of liked, and that's uh, Cryptid Creeks, and their tagline is The Goonies Meet Gravity Falls. But, you know, yeah, they're both kids on bikes. It's looks There's really a lot good. of kids on bikes esque role playing games out there. I'm going to get them all. Uh, not, I, I don't think I'll ever play anything other than the actual kids on bikes system as far as that's concerned, but you never know what you're going to get out of it. Um, and that's the beauty of just reading role-playing books. Uh, right. But it's, it's done by hatchlings. So um, they did the Inspirals, which was a game designed, the magic is designed around um, ASL. And um, you told which, me about that one. Yeah. So it's a really cool game. I like the idea with your gaming mechanics is learning sign language. And right. that is so incredibly different than anything else that's out there. You know, um, I supported it. I'm going to support Cryptid Creek, so probably by the PDF of it, maybe even the full book, we'll see. And you had me at Gravity Falls, which is something that I really would like to talk about as kids on bikes, but it's not a movie. So if we do like, a, I don't know if we can do a Patreon special or maybe maybe after we're oh, done, we, we don't can have do a Patreon a special... yet. So. <laughs> right. I know. I know. Um, maybe we could do in like an, uh, like a, an honorable mention stuff we didn't talk about, you know, cause we still haven't talked about stranger things. We still haven't talked about lots of stuff. paper girls. There's just a lot of stuff to talk about. At the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I started working with a group on a, uh, an RPG called, uh, the gun belt. It is a space Western with dinosaurs. Um, Ryan Ferriselli from the honor roll podcast, Ashley Rayburn, they put it together. It's a beautiful little system. It's super fun. It's a fun little world. Um, originally, I wrote some linking narration that was going to go in between the chapters. Um, I, I'm pretty sure they didn't go with that. I don't know. I haven't seen like kind of the beta of it, but it's going to launch in early May. So depending on when the next episode comes out, it's just one of those things where I, I promise you I'm going to advertise as soon as that link goes up on Kickstarter. I'm going to be one of the first ones to support it, uh, and I will put it up on on our Facebook page. Uh, it's a, a great little system, and I think it's it's unique in its world building. Uh, so, there you go. Okay. Are we going to rant? Yeah, let me go ahead and rant. Um, All right, rant for me. 
All right. I have no idea what this is about, so I'm very and curious. And I'm going to name drop here uh, because I'm not going to be uh, obtuse or, or, or try and, and be vague about this. I totally understand that Kickstarters are caveat emptor. You know, let the buyer beware. You don't, yes. you're not promised anything, that kind of stuff. But there is a company that I feel, and I feel evidence is there. If I had an outlet beyond this podcast, I would be doing a, a an expose like researched story about this. And I, I wish I did. I wish I still wrote for some major news venue that I could do that. But uh, you have heard me talk on this podcast several times about a Kickstarter that I backed about a year and a half ago uh, that I'm super excited about, which is Monsterpocalypse. Yes. Mythic Games is the company behind Monsterpocalypse. So it's, it's actually, they're not their IP, but they're the one behind the Kickstarter. Um, Mythic Games is not to be trusted. And I'm just going to put it just that bluntly. Uh, Mythic Games is behind the Darkest Dungeon Kickstarter, which drew a lot of flack last year when it got past the production stage to the shipping stage, and then Mythic Games asked for more money. They basically held the people's games hostage. Oh, man, right. Yeah, I remember that. And they have done it again a month ago with Rainbow Six. Another game that they did a Kickstarter. Again, not their intellectual property. Mm -hmm. Over the past six months, they have done updates, a very few updates, like two or three updates, uh, about having to downsize their company and restructure their company, and that they are putting the focus basically on the intellectual property that they have. And so they have laid out a plan for what games they are going to be focusing on one game at a time, and it is this game, and it is that game, and and so on and so forth. And in the last two updates that they have sent out as updates to Monsterpocalypse, it ain't even mentioned. Ooh. And the leading theory right now is that it is not being mentioned because it is not their intellectual property, therefore they make less money on it. And the big theory, because these are not small Kickstarters, these are Kickstarters that have generated millions of dollars. Right. But the big theory is that they are raising money through a Kickstarter and then using that money to fund the product that they should have shipped six months ago, a year ago. That it's kind of a Ponzi scheme as far as the money is going. And I really feel like there is a news story in there for somebody who has the time and the outlet to research what is Mythic Games doing with its Kickstarters and with its projects and why does it continue to screw over the people who backed this, who gave them millions of dollars to create these products in the first place, because this is twice that they have gotten the product to the point that it is being produced and then demanding more money in order to actually deliver the product. And this isn't the increased shipping costs that have gone on over the last few years. I totally understand that. Most Kickstarters, in fact, don't include shipping costs anymore because they just flat out say, we don't know what the shipping costs will be like when we get to the point of shipping these. But Mythic right. Games is actually shaking down its customers for more money. They flat out said with Darkest Dungeon that if the game is done, it's in the shipping containers in China. If you don't pay them money, then it'll be there for you to pick it up. I'm Well, I'm sorry you're having that experience. Yeah, I've 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 seen a couple of companies have done that. I'm I did a Kickstarter. Uh, I'm it's been two and a half years. I'm still waiting on it. It hasn't come out. Um, right. I haven't heard anything from it. I'm assuming, but like it, they haven't done. They, they may have just scampered. I'm not even going to name who it is. It, it could be that it's just shipping. It could be 2020 and and everything. But like, but if if they Mythic Games is doing what you're saying, that is no bueno. 
Right. And uh, yeah. And, yeah, and well, having I mean, it happen with a product is one thing, but having a pattern, yeah. you know, it's like once is an accident, twice is coincidence, three times is a pattern. And this is definitely falling into that pattern situation. And they they don't respond when people ask them questions via the website. There have been people who requested refunds on Darkest Dungeon two years ago that still haven't gotten them. Yeah. And Yikes. so, and I went in big on this Kickstarter because I believed in the product. I think it's an exciting game. I don't at this point think that I will ever see it. And I don't think that I will see a refund if I try and request that. And I, I, they did, uh, when they did their update back in like October, it was an update that was a, you know, we, we, we're falling behind on this. We don't have the resources to put into it right now, but it, but, but check out our new Kickstarter. And so that's one of the things I've been keeping my eye on is, are they doing yet another Kickstarter? on something else mm. and they haven't yet but I, I i guarantee you it's coming and they somebody needs to be looking into this well i i i feel partially responsible because uh you know have, having played monster apocalypse when it was a uh a random booster pack game i i, I hope no yeah. <laughs> i would definitely like this looks really cool i was really excited giant monsters it's, it's a great game uh, and I'm I'm really bummed that you're you're having this kind of negative experience. Well, and that's part of the the question that the monster apocalypse. And I'm, I'm more worried about mythic games as a hu- as a, as an entity, like the, right. the behavior that it's doing. As far as the monster apocalypse, the question has been raised: like the designs were done. It's owned by a different company. Mm-hmm. It should not be taking because it was supposed to ship last fall. It should right. not be taking this long to produce it. So why is that? Like even understanding that you had to downsize your company, the work was done. Right. You know. The, the company that owns it, I think it's Privateer Press, they they mm. still sell Monster Apocalypse stuff through their online store. Like, if that's what I really was worried about, I could go on there and and, and get a copy. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. it's just I, – I find it, it – I think it's incredibly misleading, and I think there's – honestly, I think there's criminal activity going on here. Well, <laughs> let's hope that by our next episode – all of it has been sorted out. Sure. And, absolutely. And we have – it's just totally happy. It's a, it's a storybook story. Just like in The Princess Bride. And there it's you a happy, go. happy ending. And, and you just, they just, to make it up for you, they send you a real life monster. <laughs> no, thank hey, you. <laughs> speaking of real life monsters. All right. Let's talk about uh, the movie we're going to be talking about on the next episode. I can't wait. I'm excited. Rafe, there are three movies that I think have to be spoken about. And I think we only have three selections left. Correct. Right? Okay. Two of them are yours. One of them is mine. Yeah. I already know what my next two are. And if there's a chance that you choose one of them, it's fine. I have an alternative. Like, I think. (laughs) So I know for a fact two of the three that have to get spoken about. Now, I knew without a doubt that the film that we're going to be talking about next week was going to be the film that I I was going to recommend next. But I hadn't seen it. Until <laughs> the trip to the Galapagos, where I saw it as it was intended to be seen on a tiny little screen with a child screaming next to me. <laughs> Call back to the beginning of the episode. <laughs> uh, it is a horror film. Ooh. It is a horror film with a large kid cast. It has bikes. The town that it takes place in is central to the story. The kids have agency. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm boiling it down. I have a couple ideas in mind of where you're going with this. Okay, and there is no better movie to follow Stand by Me than this film because they are both written by Mr. Stephen King, 
I, of course, am talking about 2017's It, Chapter 1. Oh, hell yes! Oh! Uh, now, I saw it for the first time, knowing that I would probably was going to... I was really happy to see it, uh, and I had to turn to the, the, the teenage... I think it was a teenage girl sitting next to me and went, I'm about to watch a horror movie. Your dad's on the other side of you. Is this cool that I watch this? And they're like, yeah, I guess she's seen it. Uh, yeah. It's intense. It's intense. It is an intense film. So you have seen it. Oh, yes. I've seen it at yeah, least yeah, yeah. twice. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. Yeah. Not to tip my hat, but um, I think we have a lot to talk about this film. Oh, I yeah. think the gamification is going to be great. I think the game, uh, the story and narrative is going to be really good. I, I'm excited to talk about it as a movie and as a game. There are really good characters, maybe some lesser characters in there. But like our Goonies, there are a large group, I think seven, I think yeah. there's seven of them. And yeah, I'm real psyched. I, I have to ask, yes. have you read the original novel? I have. Okay. I'm very excited that there's a big difference between the... Yes. The second, <laughs> the, yeah. Okay. I have, yeah. yeah. Interesting. I, 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 oh, I'm excited. Like I said in the last episode, when a Stephen King book came, I can't remember when it came out, but in middle school, we all read all the Stephen right. King. So I basically read everything up until the dark half, and then I think that was the last one I read. So I haven't read anything else. But uh, yeah, I think- um, That's exciting. That's fantastic. Yeah. I'm really glad because it was one of those that was top of a lot of people's list for Kids on Bikes movies. And just reading the, like, kind of, I knowing what this was in the story, I was like, well, how true are they going to be to it? And I watched it. And I'm like, this is, this is, I think, perfect. Yeah. And I I love the fact that with the movies, they split the kids' story and the adult story. So the first movie really is a kids on bikes movie, as opposed to the novel or the miniseries, which has the stories intercut. And so it becomes less of a kids on bikes. Thing. Oh, this is fantastic. Oh, yes. I'm excited. <laughs> oh, good. Good. I'm, I'm glad that you're excited because I'm excited too. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing it a second time to start writing out uh, more notes. So there we go. That's, that is uh, our film for the next time around. And uh, we have that. And uh, before we we sign off, would you like your homework question? Oh yes, yes. Okay, so here now, it is the homework. Uh, now the homework question we don't discuss during the main episode. We discuss during the next intermission. Yes, next intermission. So you have okay. a whole month okay. to come up with this. Fantastic. Um, and okay. some of them are going to require as much thought as your 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 top five movies that define you. And this one's going to be a little easier. It's a little hard to figure out. Your homework question is this: find a character. And setting from a movie that you would most want to play in a role-playing game. So it's it's not maybe not the personality of the character, but the job. Mm-hmm. A single character from a movie and the situation they find themselves in that you would most want to play in a role-playing game and why. Okay. I like that. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. I think it's, it's, it's wide. And even though it's not... It doesn't necessarily have to be kids on bikes, and you know we noticed that only one of our films that we we discuss is kind of a kids on bikes film, and, and the things that define us. Though right. I guess technically, the Muppet movie they are on bikes in a couple of scenes, and in the original it's, Muppet movie it's only Kermit on bike. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. That is true. All right. Well, then join us in two weeks for our discussion of It Chapter One. Oh, this is so exciting! Uh, until then, you can find the podcast on all major podcatchers. You can email us at the Never Say Die Podcast at gmail.com. 
You can find us on Facebook at the Never Say Die Cast. Please join the group. It is a private group. It does notify us when you ask to join, though. We're kind of on Twitter at Never Say Die Cast, although Drew has personally moved away from that. I'm starting to move away from that. NPR has moved away from that. So I'm going to say that's probably not going to be there much longer. But right now, it is. All that's left to say is thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song and Megan Daly for our show's artwork. If you've liked what you've heard, hey, if you have the opportunity... Why not leave us a five-star review? Uh, it helps others find the show, makes us feel loved and wanted, and um, yeah. And remember, even if the only way that you can watch the movies is on a four-inch screen next to a screaming child, never say die.